0: Welcome to our second quarter 2022 Market Outlook webcast. I'm Jody King, Director of Wealth Planning at Fuduciary Trust. I hope you and your family are doing well, despite the challenges of the current environment. In today's discussion, we'll help you stay informed by sharing our perspective on the following topics. First, the current overall outlook for the economy and corporate earnings. Second, how the tragic war in Ukraine may continue to impact the economy and markets. third how the combination of Fed actions and other factors are likely to impact interest rates, and finally, our investment outlook by asset class. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer, who will share our perspective on these topics. Over to you, Austin, to begin today's discussion.
1: Thank you, Jody, and welcome to our second quarter market outlook. We are back again at 53 State Broadcasting. And with me today, as always, is my colleague Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer. Hans, it's nice to, to be back here in person. Awesome, it's really good to be back. We've had a lot that has gone on over this past three months. Uh, so let's jump right into it because we're in the midst of a global conflict as it relates to the Ukraine. We're in the midst of inflation. Uh, We're in the midst of markets trying to navigate uh, coming out of the pandemic. Um, Let's start off with uh, what been covered in the business uh, process, which is really around inflation. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. This was something that was pre-the Ukraine war, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe shed some light on what are the drivers of this, how you expect this to continue, and how you're
2: navigating it. Sure, well, Austin, inflation is on the tops of everybody's minds right now. And uh, you're right, it, 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 it was fairly um, um, quiescent before uh, the pandemic and when the pandemic hit, uh, it, it disrupted supply lines, it disrupted the labor market, the, the basket of goods that American consumers changed. we stopped spending on services because you, you couldn't go get a haircut, right? but you could order in from, uh, uh, you know, Amazon. So people started spending a lot on goods. The public policy response to the pandemic also added to these inflationary pressures, these supply lines and and labor market disruptions. We started printing money. We made the the interest rate essentially go to zero. The Federal Reserve expanded the balance sheet to, to buy all manner of assets at the same time as Congress um, spent a lot of money to support people's uh, incomes while they couldn't work. So when you put all this money into the system, it starts to move around and it's created in totality um, an inflation. And the inflation is not proving to be transitory. In fact it's it's it, when you when you look at the data over a longer period of time right now the last print was close to eight percent. but when you smooth the data out a little bit, uh, it's closer to to five six percent that inflation's now running. Um, you know, and, and just for reference, before the pandemic we were running at two one and a half to one and a half two. so we've gone from one and a half two to to eight. Uh, eight, Yes, yeah, that's right, that's right four times uh, essentially what we were running before. Smooth it out, it's three times. And I think one of
1: the things that I know you're going to talk about is a lot of people initially thought this would be, you know, a, a short, a, a temporal issue, a, yeah. a period of what, six, 12 months, 18 months or so forth. Yeah. Um, and as you look at it, what? how are you thinking about that?
2: You, we were definitely in the camp that we thought it would be transitory. I think the, the thing that I didn't appreciate was the fragility of of most importantly the the supply lines Mm. for the better part of 40 years American commerce is based on this notion of just in time manufacturing so you keep your supply line your, your inventory very low your supply lines are stretched out you know so the value added chain now is very long and that's built a lot of fragility. Mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, when you shut down the ports and the containers in the wrong places, and, you're, and you're, the places you're importing from has closed down, you've, you have this cascading disruption through your supply lines that isn't easy to fix. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the big surprise in all of this. And, and at the same time, there was this concern on the part of public policymakers. Um, They didn't want to uh, back away from support of the economy while this pandemic was rolling through in different versions of the virus. And so um, accommodating, very accommodative policy stances were maintained for perhaps much longer than they should have been, although they were well-intentioned. And now we're starting to deal with the culmination of all of these things. And it's, it's proving much more stubborn uh, and much more difficult to rectify than I think anybody had appreciated.
1: To that point, when do you see or eva- envision that the supply chains will get back to some semblance of normalcy? Uh, and so that's one. And then two, how do you think about timing of taking some of that money back in rather than having all uh,
2: chasing these goods? On point one, it, the thought was, and if you if you look at what the shipping industry and the logistics industry is telling you that the hope was and this is before uh, the land war in Europe right uh, end of this year sometime next year so wow. it's going okay. to be a long time yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on, on the second issue sort of unwinding all the stimulus that just started it, it started first with the the, uh, uh, the Brits uh, it, it Then we followed on, we raised interest rates last month. The expectations are we'll get maybe somewhere between five to seven more interest rate increases over the next year. Um, So, and the Federal Reserve as of uh, yesterday announced that uh, it looks like they're gonna start shrinking the balance sheet at a pretty good clip indeed. So with those two components there,
1: throw in the realization of a war in the Ukraine, yeah. and the impact on oil particularly, yeah. uh, and also commodities. Yeah. Um, how does that exacerbate the
2: inflation that we're seeing here? For us, it certainly exacerbates it. It makes it miserable for the Europeans, and then even perhaps even more so for the emerging market countries. So before this, we were talking about shortages in, in supply chains, uh, uh, and and labor markets. Mm-hmm. This exacerbates the supply chains, and it causes a commodity shock, uh, and that is never good for an economy, for the global economy. The commodity shock really comes from the fact that um, both of the combatants, Russia and the Ukraine, are big energy uh, com- energy producers in the in the form of the, in the case of Russia and commodity producers in the case of the Ukraine. Ukraine's probably the third or fourth largest wheat producer uh, on the planet, the exporter uh, on the planet. So, so when you have those disruptions, those tend to ripple through, right, the, the supply chain, the value chain. And for the most part, this is just elongates uh, uh, the problems that we have with inflation in all its form and the causes of inflation through supply chains and the like. Does it change the complexion of inflation? Because
1: again, we think about inflation as a basket of goods, right? And so what, what is publicized is the aggregate CPI or different, different measures of this, but, um, prices on cars is one thing versus prices on timber versus prices on oil. Does is there is it consistent across? Are we finding it across all the different categories of, of goods and services, or is it uh, are there pockets of it that are not feeling this?
2: No, it's it's across pretty much every category that we measure here uh, in the states. If if you look if you break down the the consumer price index into all the buckets that that uh, the government measures. Uh, they all pretty much show inflation and inflation that is hotted up, and in some cases, red hot. uh, Areas like transportation, apparel, and the like. Um, So, and it looks like that's going to continue.
1: And and I guess the other aspect about inflation, which I know you're gonna talk on, is how inflation influences um, the labor market and hourly wages. Because my guess is you're gonna say that uh, if the price of bread is going up, you need to be paid more, and that then b- builds upon itself. Is that How do you think about the labor market within inflation?
2: Yeah, and so this gets to the whole idea of expectations. When you have an inflationary environment, the worry is that people start to build higher prices into their expectation of what they need to get paid. Mm-hmm. And we're already in a short labor market, so there are a, short, you know, a shortage of workers um, because there's roughly, I don't know, two plus workers for every um a jobs seeking a worker right now i mean these are so let will say that again there's there's two there's two two and a half jobs looking for someone to fill them so wow. if you look at the number of unemployed people versus the number of jobs looking for people it's about two to two and a half to one and what is
1: uh and is that coming back to uh, i think we've talked about at times uh, different in skill sets, difference in geographies, why uh, over a long period of time that finds an equilibrium and obviously price also yeah. factors into that.
2: Yeah, what's interesting about this, Austin, is that we are now, right re- the labor market was pretty tight prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're back to that level of tightness, but the mix has changed because some people have left the labor market um, and because they've left the labor market it creates it exacerbates sort of those shortages that we've had and makes them you know it makes it more enduring this is where it comes back to inflation when you're in a low inflationary environment in, in when inflation pops up in one part of our landscape it's kind of easy to to um dismiss because it it'll correct it's 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 temporal as you would say but when you get into an environment where there's a lot of inflation, like where we are right now, both in labor and you know the price of labor and the price of material that goes into things, when you get these, these spikes in different areas, it builds a, a, an inflation mentality that you start to expect more of it. So it's harder to dismiss because it's so prevalent in what you see and mm-hmm. what you experience. And I think that's kind of where we are. We're at this moment where, it's really important that these inflationary, expect- inflationary expectations do not take hold. This is where the central bank comes in. Uh, because if they do take hold, there tends to be this reinforcing mechanism that- That accelerates it even further. Exactly. So you, you know, this is where you hear these echoes of the 1970s. And- and
1: so so what, is, what is the monetary policy that, that is underway and how do, you think, how do you envision that playing out? Yeah, well that is the
2: question. So, the first thing that's happening is they, they, they're, they're not printing, they're not out, you know, the Federal Reserve, the central bank, uh, is not uh, out in markets anymore, um, actively purchasing securities to keep, um, uh, to force money into the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, uh, they've started to raise interest rates, and it looks like they might be raising interest rates at a much faster rate to try to. Um, 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 Get hold of these, the you know the, the inflationary pressures, and and then what they're likely to do, likely to do is to come back and start to sell securities uh, out of their um, uh, they uh, holdings, hold. right? In order to um, take some liquidity out of the system, and by taking liquidity out of the system, you're taking money out, okay. and therefore inf- because inflation is a monetary phenomenon, it's a problem with money chasing things. If you start to take that out. Hopefully, the, uh, the, some of these inflationary pressures abate. But I think
1: you would tell us that this doesn't happen overnight.
2: No, and it's incomplete, too. I mean, it's it's a struggle. The last time America had to deal with something like this was in the late 1970s, and and, 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 and quite frankly, the central bank struggled with it for a number of years. Just as they struggled with low inflation, uh, they're going to be struggling with high inflation not easily solved.
1: And I guess uh, unlike those periods, the late 70s, correct me wrong, we're starting, and we've talked about this in the past, from a negative real interest rate uh, beginning, correct?
2: Negative real interest rates that we haven't seen, you know, in modern times.
1: So let's take a moment explain to me again uh negative real interest rates because again it's it factors all together but i want to understand the math of what does it mean when we have negative real interest rates so
2: negative real interest rates essentially is you you take the interest rates so for example if you look at your uh, a money market fund right now you might be earning all of 0.3 percent on it okay you subtract the inflation rate from that zero which is eight percent, right? And the real interest rate that you're getting on that is a negative eight or negative seven percent. So my
1: buying power the buying power that I have in a negative real interest rate environment is deteriorating every year. Yeah. Your cash is 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 dropping. So starting where we are, which is again a noticeable negative real interest rate, is that concerning? Um, as the Fed starts to take this action? Or is that something that will address it and bring us back into more traditional um, uh, positive
2: uh, real interest rates? Well, the hope uh, and, and sort of the traditional um, way of looking at it was that by, by um, raising the price of money, by trying to take some liquidity out of the system, uh, in effect, kind of destroying money, if you will, um that it'll reduce some of these inflationary pressures um that's the hope okay um there are likely going to be unintended consequences of that right so it might cause some funding crises in different parts of the financial landscape what's so different now austin than the last time um, society has had to deal with this is that our our economy is so much more financialized Mm -hmm. than it was then um um, you know, the, just the v- number of different ways that money moves around and it can be invested in the system. ETFs didn't exist in, in 1979. And the mutual fund industry was nowhere near the size it is right now. Hedge funds, private equity, a fraction, you know, of, 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 of what they are now. And most people didn't even know about uh, and, and the plumbing So do we, so we think modesty. that is a
1: good thing or a bad thing or it's just a a, an
2: unknown factor? It's an unknown factor. And so that's why um, when you read sort of what central bankers are talking about amongst themselves, they're, they're sort of asking themselves these questions. What do we, you know, we know what we want to do. Will it work the way we want it? And what are the unintended consequences that we're going to have to plan for? And that's what investors are going to
1: have to focus on. So Hans, that's actually a perfect pivot uh, into the great barometer uh, of the future, which is the stock market. Um, How is the stock market, and let's talk first, we'll use the US markets, um, how is it interpreting uh, all the things that we just talked about uh, and embedding that into future prices and the value of, of companies?
2: Well, there are two things that you can look at with a stock market, right? You can look at uh, what the expectations are for future earnings and then the prices from day to day. The longer-term expectations are useful to look at because I think there's some signal The day-to-day can get noisy. The day-to-day activity, uh, uh, Austin, this year has been very noisy indeed. Right. You, you know, We talked about more volatility coming into this year because when we thought interest rates would start to normalize, it could be uh, a cause of some eruptions in markets we'll throw in a land war in Europe, uh, and sure enough, boy, did we get the uh, uh, volatility. volatility, yeah. I mean, peak to trough this year, we were down something on the order of about 13%, um, which is, you know, last year, I think we only managed to be down something like 5% peak to trough. It all recovered before the end of the year. Um, this year we're, we're still down six, seven percent. Um, um, you know, even being down that fifteen percent. But just to be clear, when you
1: talk about being down six, seven percent or thirteen percent, we over a course of a long each year, there's at least a drawdown of sort of that magnitude. Is that correct? Well,
2: that's the interesting thing about it. That's right. We we are kind of back to normal in that respect. Um, so that's on one hand. The uh-huh. market's recovered since, as 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 you know, hopes that things will get resolved. Probably, you know, wishful thinking. Um, but what's also interesting, Austin, is that if you look longer term, what the earnings expectations are, there's been remarkably, uh, uh, you know, little concern about how these supply shortages, um, these labor shortages, will affect profit margins and then affecting and in, in, in affecting profit margins, how they it will impact profits. If you look at um, you know 12 month forward uh, profit expectations, there's been remarkably little adjustment. They've been adjusted somewhat, but not very much given all that's going on. So,
1: do you believe those forecasts? Does that cause you concern? Yeah. Um, and again, I think we've talked about we're having we're in a period of high margins uh, on a whole, yeah. right?
2: So. Um, How do you interpret it? I'm I'm much more of a skeptic because uh, the more that I see, and when we look at these uh, you know these these business surveys um, from the you know the ISM numbers, these purchasing manager indices and the like, what we're seeing is that prices are, are, are surging. There are problems with getting labor. Uh-huh. Um, we're still in a growth uh, pro, um, uh, profile, so for the top line looks good. I think I think we can expect that revenues will remain somewhat on the, uh, on, the, on the good side of things, but the margins are going to be at risk because it's going to cost more to get people to come to work, number one. right? And we still have these supply lines that are just so tied up in a knot that it's hard to see how any of it gets resolved quickly. These are all going to result in, in higher costs, which should be in lower margins, which puts the earnings at risk.
1: So that's happening here. I can only imagine your perspective about developed international or European stocks or stocks, and you talked earlier about commodities and the impact of commodity pricing on emerging markets, but uh, do you have the same uh, concerns or perspectives around international stocks?
2: Yeah, the the same uh, factors are in tow for international companies, especially European companies right now, um, which which is heartbreaking because the European market is is relatively cheaper Uh than the U.S. market, better yields. um, So that represents really good value, but the conditions there are much more challenged because they are much more reliant on Russia for their energy sources. They're primarily gas-driven. Those prices are are just off the charts. Um, They're talking about additional sanctions. Um, so so it exacerbates already a difficult um, uh, operating environment so the recession risks uh, in the United States are rising for sure uh-huh. we haven't talked about that but they're rising um, the recession risks in Europe are, are probably a notch or two higher than they are here in the United States when you combine um, you know these these input cost problems disruptions to the commercial landscape and the like
1: let's do uh, two components one, uh, let's remind everybody, the definition of a recession is?
2: Well, the textbook definition uh, that is popularly viewed is that two consecutive quarters of falling GDP. Okay. We don't have that yet.
1: And do you expect that or think of that in this year, next year? Don't know.
2: I, I Right now, I think it's probably a coin toss sometime whether we have recession or not. Uh, And if it were to occur, it probably occurs sometime in, in 2023, if it were to occur. I think at this point, the probability of it happening um, would be would be somewhere around fifty percent, uh, be a coin toss at this juncture. The the, the 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 some of the surveys that you look at would suggest that it's much lower. Um, but when you factor in all these other dislocations, that I, you know, as a result of the war, as a result of the unknown around policy normalization, and the and the the problem of inflation. Um, I think the Federal Reserve probably has less of a problem if it causes commercial disruption or even a business slowdown, an economic slowdown, if they can get their hands around the inflation. So that's the, f-
1: the final topic here I want to cover relates to this, all of what we've been talking about, is what's going on in the fixed income universe. right? So again, highly influenced by uh, the Federal Reserve, but at the same point, commercial borrowing and so forth. Um, what are your, the first quarter was down, How you know, what's the rest of the year potentially look like?
2: Well, Austin, if you look at returns this year on some of the broad market indices, um, first of all, they, they're almost all universally down this year for, uh, for, for the fixed income market. Different types of fixed income. Different types of fixed income, for sure. The the, the the level of the drop in, in return, so sort of the drawdown that we've seen, I think at, at last look it was on the order of 8% from one of the broad uh, uh, Bloomberg indices that we follow. That's that's what you would look at for a bad year in equities, right? And they've already had that happen in, in the fixed income market, a market which you, you know, people think as a, a bulwark against uh, equity market volatility, right? So that's already happened, and that's just a function of of, of policy changes, uh-huh. and and that's likely going to continue. There's this view that perhaps the Fed will back off, and that's wishful thinking.
1: Okay. So we have a lot of different moving pieces. Uh, And a lot of these, I think you are articulating, are going to more materialize during the course of the year and potentially at the back end of the year and beginning of next year. What three things should people take away as they think about their own portfolios today? Right,
2: right. So I'll, I'll talk about what we've been doing because I think those are the big takeaways. Uh, we came into this year believing that there would be uh, higher market volatility than we've seen.
1: Che- that, check, right, we have that. We have that, right? And, we've and had we, it we will reasons, continue.
2: Yeah, uh, for the reasons I think, and other reasons, uh, uh, has manifested that, that, uh, that volatility. Um, that volatility is going to create some opportunities and uh-huh. so in the first quarter we raised cash in, in our Beacon portfolios uh-huh. um, in preparation for some opportunities that are going to come down the pike as a result of both the war and as a result of policy normalization. So people have to be one sort of settle into this notion that the next uh, 12 to 18 months will be a pretty volatile time in markets, and it's it's going to be different from what they've seen in the past. And the volatility is going to be driven by different things than they've seen in the past. That's number one. Number two. This presents some opportunities. Um, it presents opportunities, for example, in commodities, energy specifically, uh-huh. markets that are much more tied to the production of that, um, like, like Canada, and the like. And in the fixed income complex, at some point, there will be some very nice opportunities for us to take advantage of, as we did back in March of 2020 during the, yes. the pandemic. We yep. did that. So we're prepping ourselves for um, uh, these things when they come along. My guess would be that we'll see some really nice opportunities in the high yield market, the investment grade corporate bond market, Uh uh, when we get further down interest rate increases, when we get another uh, bout of market volatility here in the United States. I think we'll get a great opportunity to be Putting in, uh, uh, getting exposure to sectors, sort of the average stock, if you will, right, yep. rather than the market cap ultra large tech yeah. company. Maybe it's the energy company, the material company, the industrial company, um, oil services company. So these are sectors of the market we think that probably are going to give us a nice opportunity to to to, to uh, buy at some attractive prices, and this is all to come. So point is is that don't. Don't get too rattled by the market volatility. It's a cost that one has to bear in order to get the return that will follow. Very well said. Um,
1: any final, I guess, anything that you think that we will be surprised at? So my final question for today is Is what what are you going to be surprised at? And Last time you talked about the surprise of crypto not uh, coming through. Um, I'm curious if you have any other surprises.
2: Yeah, I think when we. Gold? Talked, it was, it was go- the dogs that didn't bark last yeah. year, right? When we had this lift in inflation was crypto and gold. Right. And awesome, the first three months of this year, the case for those, if you bought the idea of what they represent, right? This sort of uber money that is, sits outside of the traditional thing that will hold value and, and, and should kept catch amazing bids in periods of disruption. A land war in Europe, and these things are, you know, if, if you would Wallach,
1: think You would think that would be the case. It
2: would be the case that gold would be at $5,000 or $4,000 in, and in Bitcoin, as they were saying, oh, it's going to be $100,000 a coin. The answer is that neither of them have done that. And um, um, so I just think that's very revealing. Um, we will see. We'll see. Well,
1: excellent. Well, thank you, Hans, uh, for uh, this update. Um, And thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll look forward to getting together in three months for our third quarter, um, which again, I think given all that's going on in the world uh, will be a a very active, and as Hans articulated, volatile period, uh, but appreciate that.
0: I'd also like to express appreciation to our audience for joining. We hope that you found the discussion useful. We are experiencing an uncertain time in the economy and markets. At Fiduciary Trust, We have extensive wealth planning, investment, trust, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it and achieve their goals. I encourage you to access some of our knowledge through insights on our website at fidtrustco.com, as well as through reaching out to a fiduciary trust officer if we can be of assistance. If you don't have a fiduciary trust officer, please contact John Morey, our Head of Client Service, who can assist you. He can be reached at 617 Two nine two six seven nine nine or mori at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining. We wish you and your family health and well-being.
1: The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. The materials discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and viewers should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with their investment, legal, or tax advisors. Copyright 2022
0: Fiduciary Trust Company.